Welcome to the Media Mavens podcast, where you'll hear the most compelling, provocative, and real conversations with industry leaders and innovators in tech, sports, and entertainment with our host and CEO of well-known PR firm, Axis Entertainment, Sarah Miller. Hi, this is Sarah Miller, CEO of Axis Entertainment and your host for Media Mavens podcast here with Phil Ashcroft. How's it going, Phil? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. How about yourself? I'm good. Okay, so I have a question for you. What's the last book you read? Oh, my God. I always read like three or four at the same time. So I'm I'm knee deep in a book about banking at the moment. The Brown Brothers, Harriman. You're reading three or four at a time. You're just looking. It's like a big Netflix binge watching. You're just totally, back and forth. Totally. Yeah, always between <laughs> at least two or three minimum. <laughs> okay, so I read a really good book that a good friend of mine wrote. In two weeks. It wasn't a big book, but my new book is How to Be a Tastemaker. But I'm excited we have our guest on because if I had his skill set, I'd be on my fifth edition before we even ended this podcast right now. <laughs> so I'm super excited. So, like, like, we are happy we have Howard Speedyberg on, who is the world Guinness record for the fastest reader. Howard, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Well, have some fun. Okay, so I have a lot of questions. And Phil and I were chatting about this a little bit prior to you coming on the show. 25,000 words a minute. Like, like have big talk to us. That's a pretty, I mean, that's like what? How many words generally are in a novel? Do you guys know? It depends on the novel. I'm going to tell you, it's actually a page and a half a second. So it depends on the size of the page, the size of the font, and the number of words. The real thing that slowed me down is turning. So I can go one page, two page, turn. Now that's time. Turning that page does take time. So it's read, read, turn, read, read, turn. So as many words are on the page, that's what I read. And it averages out to about 25,000 words a minute, depending on an average size book. But it's really a page and a half a second. Did you wow. speed through college? Because you did, you know, you had, you got a degree in psychology, I believe. In one year. Wait, you had I mean, a four year, a four year degree in one year because you sped through all the books. Yeah, I majored in bio. I went to college at 17, majored in biology, SUNY Binghamton. And my junior year, I guess in the brain, there's a branch of biology called psychobiology, not psychotic biology. That's, that's Frankenstein. <laughs> psychobiology is the biology of behavior. So, I just said to the dean, I want to major in that too. And he said, well, you've got one year left. You have no psych courses. You have to do a whole program in one year. Take six science courses at once, 18 credits of science, two four-hour labs. When lab reports took 16 hours each because you did them on slide rules. And I had three jobs. I was working 18 hours a week. So I said, you're not smart enough. And that's when it hit me. And it taught me how to learn. So I figured out how to learn. I got up to 80 pages a minute. I did the whole psych program in one year. I took the graduate record exam in biology. She took it in the first semester, and I hadn't had that many psych courses. I hadn't finished any yet. I was in the middle of my first group, so I did it on bio. So I reviewed like 48 books, like biochemistry, cell physiology, genetics. I got three questions wrong. So I got an 800. I was in the 99th percentile in the world. And then I wondered, is this a learnable skill or me? So I taught the kids 11 to 15 as a test. They read a 30-chapter book in Lifelong Developmental Psych, which is a sophomore course in a week, and 15 out of 18 got the college credit in one week. So it wasn't that I could do it. I could teach it. I taught the Special Forces at Fort Bragg, the Royal Thai Army, a lot of Fortune 
500 companies. They, they run on information. And uh, it's been very exciting. I love what I'm doing, and it's helping people. And uh, that's why I'm here, to try to help some of the people listening today. And it doesn't matter if it's like newspapers, books, reports. You just, this is just it's crazy. Like when you're reading so much, are you in your, I mean, obviously you can't read a full psych book or calculus book and then take a test. You got to retain. I did that. No, actually, I did do that. I did a graduate. I was a teacher for 10 years when I got to college and I was building a company. So I didn't have time to go to college to get credits that I needed for my license. So I opted to get an AP test, but I forgot about it because back then we used day timers, not computers, but ticklers that said, two weeks, you got a test. You don't know. You look the week. Oh, God, the test's next week. I better buy the book. And then I realized I booked out the whole week. I only had seven hours to study. And if I failed, I was going to lose my job. So I read this 400-page book in seven hours, four times. The AP test was six hours. I did it in 50 minutes. I got a B plus. And why didn't I get an A? I didn't need an A. You have to have a purpose. My purpose was four graduate credits. That was my purpose. I needed a C minus. <laughs> so for $65 and eight and seven hours and 50 minutes, I got four graduate credits and kept my job. And that was my goal. I achieved my objective. So B plus was way more than I actually needed to achieve. I love it. And so is it, is it all self-taught, Howard? Or did, how, how did you discover that you had this talent? I took some great courses with some very smart people. And I'm looking at what they're doing with the brain. I mm-hmm. said, why don't we use any of this with people? We're making monkeys and rats and fish really smart. Why don't people use any of these things that we're discovering about the brain? And I started applying it to my own learning. And then what I did, I reflected when I was reading. I was reading 80 pages a minute. And I said, watch yourself read. Like Turn a piece of your mind inward. And what are you doing? How are you processing this information at that speed meaningfully? And I identified what the steps were that I was following, and I wrote them down. And then I created a program based on those steps and taught it and saw that we actually did a double-blind study. The average person, not going to read 80 pages a minute, but the average person in our 100-person survey read two to four times faster in four hours with excellent comprehension using the Nelson-Denny, which is a standardized test for speed and comprehension. Interesting. And did you find like in in that price, you know, they often say like, if you really want to know something, teach it. Did that change the direction of your own capacity at that point? Or That's a great question. Actually, the answer is yes. When I taught the class and a lot of speakers during lunch, they disappear. It's like my Mm -hmm. time. I never did that. I always told the class where I was going to lunch and invited them to join me. I wanted their feedback. Don't just tell me what you liked, and hopefully it was a lot. Tell me what confused you. Now, one person said there was too much memory, and another person said there wasn't enough memory. That's a personal preference. But if more than one person in more than one city had the same confusion over the same aspect of the program, that was my problem. And then over 30, 35 years, I made adjustments based on what they were telling me at lunch. And I don't have problems anymore because I listened to the. It didn't matter what I thought, it mattered what they thought. 
And so my job was to communicate to them in a meaningful way that would solve the problem. Can I show you an example if you'd like? Yeah, we'd love yeah. it. Okay. One of the most important things that's missing in business is emotional intelligence skills. Now I'm going to show you what the problem was. I was teaching people how to read very quickly. And the part of the brain that normally reads in your brain, you hear the words like a little voice is talking to you one word at a time. So most people read about the speed they speak. And that's a bottleneck. So the part of your brain that can read much faster works more visually, like when you're driving in a car, front, back, left, right, 70 miles an hour, and you see everything, and it's effortless. You're reading the road, you're watching, you're listening to the radio, you're on the phone, everything, and you're bored. So we want to switch on that more visual part of the brain that can process at a much higher rate. But in the transition between listening to words and seeing information, there's a brief period of about 15 minutes where you can't read. You haven't learned to do the new thing yet, and you're not using what you did use, but what turns it on is the confusion. The brain is looking for another way to process. So people would get so confused, they gave up. They said, this doesn't work. I'm a doctor. I'm an attorney. I don't have any idea what I'm doing. And their brain was, I just wasted a day. And once that happens, their belief system is blocking any success. So now here's what I do. Listen carefully several times. I'm going to teach you to read faster today. Part of this is getting you confused on purpose. The confusion is going to turn on the part of your brain that could read quickly. But to get it to turn on, I need you to get briefly confused for only a few minutes. The more confused you get, the better you're doing. Listen carefully so you can relax as you're feeling more and more confused, knowing it's working exactly the way it's supposed to. And only in a few minutes from now, you're going to feel wonderful as you start experiencing reading at higher speed. That was a hypnotic induction. You can relax as you begin to feel more and more confused. And that's exactly what happened. Instead of panicking over this disconnect, they realized there was a reason for it. They knew that it was temporary. And I told them subliminally, you can relax as you're experiencing the confusion. Their brains relaxed. The concern went away, and now I have like 99% success. Every business needs to do this. They need to look at the emotional blocks that keep people from peak performance and use language patterns that help eliminate those fears, like speaking in public. Good example. They, or You have clients who go on shows and they're nervous. I'm never nervous. I, I've been on stage since I'm three. But that's not typical. So by giving them these subliminal commands, which you learn in psychobiology, you're conditioning their brain to react to the same situation that would have panicked them in a relaxed, comfortable, accepting way that leads to success. And every company, I'll give you a good example in a business. I'm teaching you to drive. You're ready to pass the test. You call me up and said, I failed. Why? I got nervous. It was a test. Do you know anyone who got tense or nervous on a road test that could drive? What if I didn't just teach you to drive, but how to stay calm, focused, and relaxed and use everything you learned during the test? 
How many more of my students would successfully pass the test? How many more referrals would I get? That's what companies are missing. They give people good information, but are in the right state to use it. And that's how I trained the U.S. Special Forces on how to create a good state when they're getting shot at, which happens. So they remember their training and don't get killed. But that, that, do that. that's a big rule of thumb in business for anybody. We mean, I always joke around that emotional intelligence is lacking in Hollywood or in tech with all of our clients and stuff because they just listen to going so fast at a thousand miles a minute. And then, then I'm not going to say, you know, good or bad, but women are better at multitasking sometimes. Yes, they you've are. Got to, you've got to put more into your head and better handle 20 things. And I know being in PR and doing events, I am like a thousand miles a minute without dropping a beat. But I do understand sometimes you do have to stop, breathe, calm your mind down in a situation of stress, hear what they're saying, really hear what they're saying, communicate and make them understand. You hear them, you understand them. Because when we do corporate executive training, the art of communicating is not that easy. You just don't sit there two ears. Yeah, yeah, I heard you. You have to talk to the person, figure out what they're going to say, how you're going to respond. You got to strategically get ahead of the game, and so I, I would never apply that to quick, fast reading. But I think you're hitting on a good spot. That I mean, that's what we all deal with every day. But you and I got two questions that came out of this. I just but interrupt I, for one second. I want to say something. You said women are better at it. I mean, yeah. there's a reason. You want to know why? There is a reason. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know we have two hemispheres, and there's neural connections between them called the corpus callosum, and a man. It looks like little tiny wires. In a woman, it looks like cables. Women can feel and think at the same time very well. They can communicate their emotions extremely well. When a woman tells a man, tell me how you feel, a man can feel or think, but not at the same time. You can learn to do that. It's trainable. But men do not instinctively have that capacity to talk about their feelings like women do. They think we're being withholding. You know, we're not we're not Mm -hmm. communicating. It's very difficult for most men to express their feelings as women do because of that difference in the way the brain is wired. I'm going to flip the script on you and Phil, though, on this. And I got two big questions I got to get to. But. I honestly mean, yes, thank you. We are better at multitasking, but I'm just going to say this on the podcast, Phil. I know his eyes are going to roll as soon as I open my mouth on this. I also feel that given what you said is correct, but men handle business a little bit better than women in a way that they don't get emotional. Women get emotional and then they stop communicating and they stop being strategic and then they just lose their shit. Men are a little bit better in business. Maybe they may not be good about this, but they're very good with leave. The, it's business. There's no emotions. Don't take it personally. Bottom line. So I'm kind of like a hybrid on what you just said. And I see Phil's just like, hmm, thinking this one through. You're completely right. Because yeah. the men's emotions are separate from their logic. Right. So they can turn off the emotion and be very, very logical, even cold. I have to lay off 10,000 people or the company will go under. Where a woman's like, what will they do? How yep. will they feed their families? You know, they're, they're commiserating with all those. They're empathizing. 
where the business, where a lot of men, there's no empathy. It's more, this is a business decision and this is something that has to be done to keep the company going for the same reason, because their brains are wired differently. Yeah. Well, Howard, to that point, do you, do you feel that that's, that's nature or nurture? Is that because young boys are treated in a way where that is not encouraged and young girls are not, or, or is it, is it, you know, birth and, and that's it, it's predestined? I believe it's evolutionary. Back in the day, men were good at hunting. They went out and they could see distance and they could see an animal on the horizon. That was what they were really good at. Women had to hear a baby crying in the middle of the night when they were sleeping. They mm-hmm. fell asleep. They didn't wake up when the baby cried. Ask most wives, why isn't the husband waking up? They don't hear it. Their brains work differently. Evolutionary-wise, the woman's brain evolved to keep the child safe and nurtured and protected. And so it's actually wired for that biologically. Remember, a modern world is fairly new. It's only 100 years old, the kind of culture we have today. 100, 150 years ago, children worked. They worked hard. You looked at that movie, uh, Commander with Master Commander. Yeah, they had little kids. They were 12 year old officers in the British Navy, and they handled themselves like adults. Adolescence is a recent development. Before the Industrial Revolution, children were apprenticed at 11, 12 years old. They spent their days with adults, not with children. And so they had a completely different way of framing life. And they treated, and they were married in 14 and 15. They could Romeo and Juliet. So this is a relatively new development that the industrial age has created. But our biology hasn't changed in 150 years time. And that's why the brains are still so different. And then I just, you know, I don't, I, you know, have kids, but like, you know, I know my nephews were raised, you know, we, you know, my sister had them when she was younger, but they were raised with adults, you know, between my parents and our friends and, ants and everything so sometimes my nephews and they've been out here running some big events for us at times people think that they're just you know adults with big jobs because they're articulate they know how to handle themselves under pressure and deal with stuff but i realized they grew up with adults so they are very calculating they're engineers they're very smart or then i see other people's kids that i love but they're kids they didn't grow up in adult environments they grew up as kids you know, daycare, daycare after daycare. So I do think what would step more and Phil, you would know this better than I would because you have this beautiful little girl. Is it between the ages of like what, two and eight or two and 10 is where how you're raised and how you portray your intelligence and teach them is how they end up. That's a, that forms a mental outlook the rest of their lives. Yes. Like Phil has a little girl and I know how smart Phil is and Phil's an amazing dad. So like some of the stuff that I see with you with B amazes me, but you could tell she's raised by very smart, very emotionally intelligent parents. I mean, you could see as kids keep that 10, 11 age, you know, their upbringing, good, bad, or different. You could tell where that emotional outlook comes from, which I think is tremendous in little kids. Well, good example. My wife was brought up in a home where the child was supposed to shut up and listen. And I was brought up in a home where I was a singer and I was put on stages when I was four years old singing in front of large groups of people. I never had stage fright because from the moment I could think I was on a stage and it felt normal 
to me. And my parents encouraged me to talk and encouraged me to, to go on stages. So I had a completely different outlook about stage fright. What's that? What you mean? People get nervous talking in public. Why? I, it was, I couldn't, in fact, I put my wife on a show once we were in um, New York and one of the hosts said, does anyone else know how to do it? And she was in the green room. I said, yeah, but she's in the next room. She can do it. Thinking, boy, is she going to get excited? I'm sharing my, my interview time with her and showing how smart she is. And after the interview, she's like, I was so embarrassed. If you ever do that to me again, I'll leave you. And it was like, what? I, I, I thought I was being respectful. I'm showing her how intelligent she is, how skillful she is. It never dawned on me someone would be uncomfortable being on a show. But actually, that's more the norm than not. But it never even entered my thought pattern that I was doing something that she wouldn't appreciate. Now I know better. I would never do that again. But that's completely right. It's upbringing. I was encouraged to do things like this. And yeah. she wasn't. And we turned out we're very compatible, but we're very different. Uh, let me ask you a question. How early age would a child have to be? It goes back to the upbringing. You've got what age were you? I'm going to ask you this respectfully. When you realized you were you had that skill to start reading thousands of words a minute. I was different. I was a museum guide when I was six. I lived across the street from a science museum. It's a very different world then. Six-year-olds don't go across the street by themselves to a museum without their parents for six hours today. I don't think that's a common thing in today's world. Back then, it's like, come home for dinner. That was how we grew up. You know, when it's getting dark, make sure you're home. So I went to the museum and I would go to total strangers and say, would you like a tour of the museum? Which today would be a very stupid thing to do, but it was 1955. And I show them the different science exhibits. And I was allowed into this exhibit on Da Vinci, which only 18 year olds were allowed, but they knew I was touring people. They had a planetarium. They had to be 18. I was allowed in. I knew all the shows because they only had like 10, 15 shows. They went every week. And by the time I was seven or eight, I was helping with the planetarium shows. So I was not the normal kid. I was I, I was a professional singer when I was nine. I was uh, singing in Temple. I was getting $3,000 on the high holidays for 10 hours of singing. At that time, my dad worked six days a week, 10 hours a day for 10000 which was a good salary at that time. I'm getting 3000 for 10 hours. But it wasn't the money. I like to say that was on stage. It was never the money. I just like doing it. It's different. So I, I was reading the theory of relativity when I was eight, and I understood a lot of it. And like I said, I was not your typical kid. But the reason was I grew up in the projects in Brooklyn, very violent, lots of gangs, lots of gangs. And it was West Side Story without the dancing and the music. I met Bernardo. He had a knife and he wasn't singing. <laughs> so I found the safest place in my neighborhood was the library. Gang kids would rather be dead than caught in the library. And so I spent a lot of time reading. I was reading mythology when I was seven and comparative religion and biology and astronomy. And I'm in the adult book section, not in the child section. So I, I just skipped over. I had no choice, though, because that was all I could do to not get hurt. 
And as bad as it was as a child, it developed into a superpower that's helping me help other people as an adult. So I appreciate it a lot more now than I did as a kid. Well, did you and you have and so in your teaching kids, I mean, what, you're teaching kids how to read faster, quicker, all of the skill set. How and adults, early, and how, adults. how early of a stage are you seeing kids come into your classes? I own the school. Now, we like to start them in sixth grade. I'll tell you why. The first three years of school are how to read from K to third grade is how do you read? English is a foreign language. Fourth grade on is when reading starts to be used for learning content like science or math. And so by sixth grade, they've had two years to learn to read and apply it in content. So they no longer have English as a foreign language. They know enough words they could speed up. However, I was in Scarborough, Toronto, and a vice principal asked me to train a third grade class, which I was very reluctant to do. But he said, my third grade is read at the eighth grade level. Our eighth grade is read at the third grade level. Their third grade is read at the eighth grade level. So I said, I'll do it, but I can't promise anything. Well, turn to every kid in that group, eight years old, doubled. And one little girl, I tested her because I read faster than her, uh, was reading five seconds a page and retaining it. And I was like, oh, my God, this kid can do anything now. She's eight years old, could read five seconds a page and retain it. Imagine what her future will look like when she gets older. And it just, I never forgot that. It was such a wonderful feeling of accomplishment. And of course, I give her all the credit in the world, but I felt that I contributed something very meaningful to her life. Wow. Is there any like tips to give people or parents, whether it's a parent with kids, like in the story you just told, or adults of how like three easy things to work on with your kids or that you need to work on to speed up your reading and Yes. More than speed is comprehension. So I'll do how to read faster, how to comprehend better and how to remember. How's that? Perfect. Okay. First, reading faster. Get a timer. Use your phone, smartwatch, time yourself for a minute. Do nothing special. Read in a book that you already know for one minute and see how far you get. And at the end of the minute, take a pen and mark off where you finish. So you've measured your current rate at your current speed. Now go to the second chapter. Take your hand and go one line at a time, eyes following your hand. And this is the key, as fast as you could comprehend. As long as you know what you're reading, go quicker and quicker and quicker till you don't. And that's when you know it was too fast. Since you already know what's in the book, the only reason you don't know what you're reading is it's too fast. Slow down just enough that the comprehension comes back For five minutes, go one line at a time, eyes following your hand, not down the middle. Then go back to the first chapter where you tested yourself for a minute and do it again with the same timer with your hand going as fast as you could comprehend. And that little line, you'll go 20, 40 percent further just doing that one change. We have some free lessons at berglearning.com, berglearning.com, where they can go a little further with this. That's step one. That's actually the very first step. The second thing is, I think you'd agree, comprehension is more important than speed. Nobody really wants to read faster. I was with Dick Cavett. I'm sure you remember. He was a very famous talk show host in the 70s, the 80s, like Johnny Carson. And 
he and I, I was on MSNBC and he was one of their first hosts years back when it, when it launched in New Jersey before they even went to 30 Rock. I was on and we got to be friends. He told me a funny story. He interviewed Woody Allen. Woody said he took Evelyn Woods. He read War and Peace in five minutes. So it's this bit, just, that's amazing. What do you remember? Woody said, it's about the Russian Revolution. That's all I remember. That was spirity. You didn't remember anything. And you used your hand. And if you didn't, and you slowed down to learn something you didn't know, you lost your speed. The man who owned Evelyn Woods was Maurice Thompson Jr. And he hired me to teach his son my system. He said, you've gone past speed reading is speed learning. And I'm going to show you how. One of the key elements in comprehension is called schema, using what you know to read. I'm going to read a passage with no schema and watch how confused it is for your brain. This is an easy thing to do. If possible, you could do it at home, but you could always go someplace else if it's necessary. Beware of overdoing it. This is a major mistake. It may cost you quite a bit of money. You have no idea what I'm talking about. No schema. I'm going to read it again. One word, a title. The title has schema and instantly you'll know exactly what I'm telling you. Laundry, laundry. This is an easy thing to do. If possible, you could do it at home, but you could always go someplace else if it's necessary. Beware of overdoing it. This is a major mistake. It may cost you quite a bit of money. Zero confusion. I'm teaching the psychology the brain uses to learn. So you're not only reading two, three, four times faster, but understanding better and very technical material like science, math, accounting, business, because your brain is using its natural mechanism for learning and not simply seeing lots of words quickly. The third thing I'll teach is memory. Is this okay? Is this what you were asking me to do? Yeah, no, I think okay. it's great. I think there's a lot of people who need to know how to speak. By the up way, in business, scheme is critical. Make sure when you speak to your prospects or clients, you use words that are meaningful to them. Don't impress them with how smart you are. I have a really good vocabulary. I went, I was unmeasurable when I was 11. I went past the, it only went 12th grade, ninth month, because that's as high as you could go. But that doesn't mean you're not past it. That's as high as they could measure. I never use those words because they don't make me look smart. They make me look arrogant. And I'm not speaking to people. I'm speaking to people that, that memorize the dictionary. No, that's not how you talk to people. Use words they know. Now, memory. I'm going to give you 10 things to remember. I won't show you how. We'll see how poorly you do. It'll be very bad. Then I'll teach you how. And instantly, not only you remember it, but backwards and forwards, effortlessly. In fact, three-year-olds can learn this with no effort. And I'm going to tell you, this is actually a tool you'll use for the rest of your life after I show you how it works. You ready? Yep. You want to remember pole, shoes, tricycle, car, glove, gun, dice, skate, cat, bowling pins. I'm willing to bet you and our audience don't know 10 things by heart right now. Is that a fair statement? I feel, how many, do you, how many do you have on that? Oh, 10. Five. Yeah, I'm like, about five, five. You're above average intelligence if you do. Most people get two to three. So even that is very commendable. But you're going to have 10 for 10 now. 10 for 10 effortlessly. Two tips. You remember 10% of what you read, 90% of what you say and do. This is a tool, not a drill. And you're going to want to remember it. So when I ask you to say, please do to retain it. 
The ancient Greeks discovered a shortcut for memory. Take a list that you know, it's hanging in your memory. Attach the new list to the familiar list. It takes less time. I'm going to bet Sarah and Philip and the people listening can count to 10. I feel very confident that you can do this. And I'm going to have you use the 10 numbers that you know, hanging in your memory to learn those 10 things. Super fast, like two, three minutes. The number one looks like a pole, like a flagpole or a light pole. So when I say one, you say pole. One. Pole. Good. Remember, say and do. Two is shoes. That's how many shoes you wear. What's two? Shoes. What was one? Pole. Good. Three is a tricycle. How many wheels on a tricycle? Three. What's three? Tricycle. What's two? Shoes. What's one? Pole. Getting better. Four is a car. How many tires on a car? Four. What's four? Car. Car. Two. Shoes. One. Pole. Three. Tricycle. Jumping. It doesn't matter. Your brain's learning the system. Five is a glove. How many fingers are in a glove? Five. five. What's five? Glove. What's three? Tricycle. What's one? Oh. Perfect. Sixth gun. When I lived in Texas, everyone had a gun. I didn't have one, but they love guns. What's six? Gun. Gun. Four. Car. 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 Two. Shoes. Use. Perfect. Lucky seven and dice. Lucky seven. What's seven? Dice. Dice. Five. Give me a clue. Love. 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 Three. Tricycle. One. Four. Rhymes work. Say eight skate. Eight skate? Eight skate. Like a roller skate. Eight skate. Like a roller skate. Eight skate. What's eight? Skate. Six. Why did they love in Texas? <laughs> Gun. Four. Car. Two. Shoes. You're Shoes. almost done. Nine. How many lives does a cat have? Nine. What's nine? Yeah. Seven's lucky in what game? Dice. 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 Five is a? Love. Three is a? Tricycle. One is a? Oh. Last number, ten. How many bowling pins are in an alley? Ten. 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 What's ten? Bowling pins. Perfect. One. Pole. Two. Two. Three. Tricycles. Four. Uh, five. Love. 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 Six, Texas. Done. Seven's lucky in. Dice. Eight rhymes with. Skate. Nine is a. Yeah. yeah. What was ten? Bowling pins. You just did it. Now here's how you use it. This is to speed learn numbers, which are tricky. You have to learn lots of numbers in business and you often don't remember them. Let's imagine you're in a hotel and your room is 314. How many times by the time you got to the lobby, you forgot your room number? <laughs> Here's how to memorize it. You turn the numbers to pictures. Three is a tricycle. One is a pole. Four is a car. Picture something interesting. A tricycle hits a pole on a car. Picture it. A tricycle hits a pole on a car. Tricycle, what number? Three. Hits a pole. One. On a car. Four. That's your room. Tricycle, pole, car. Now, kids use it for math and science. 3.14 is pi to measure a circle. So I teach it to young people for school, business people, product SKU numbers that are hard to remember, phone numbers, room numbers, due dates, percentages, and the zero, because numbers, the alphabet in numbers is zero to nine. You learned that with Scott, zero to nine. The 10 is the zero. Everything else is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Now you know how to speed learn numbers. <laughs>
is this that's so funny? I love this. Phil, is this something that I mean, I'm just asking like for parents and stuff, is this like an easier way? I mean, I I, I don't know if your daughter's, I think she's way older than this. I forgot how old she is, but is this something as a parent, mm-hmm. a good way, like for you at home, especially with COVID, to teach the kids and to keep them with for homeschooling and stuff? Or what is your experience with like, you know, growing up with this and teaching your daughter reading and math and all this stuff at home? Does it seem easier the way Scott, the way um, Howard explained it or? Yeah, totally. It's funny because because I've given Bill a little potted version, not not exactly, you know, to this quality, but but of the mnemonic structure. And uh, just just so she actually knows the code for the front door (laughs) as much as anything (laughs) else to try and get her to have a picture in her head. And she's 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 kind of a little bit resistant, but she remembers the story. And so it works. That's the thing that counts. Right. It, It works. But, but she's also also like, you know, everybody's now getting moving a little bit further towards computers mm-hmm. and stuff and online is the learning process, the adaption of computers, which is hard because they're all in tech, harder or easier when it comes to these basics as you're a kid, when you're flipping from the basics, of what we've done, because when we grew up, you and I didn't grow up on computers, but now kids like your daughter is growing up. Is it an easier way to retain? I know what Howard's teaching is upstream of the tools and techniques of a, of a technology, which is what a computer is. This is, it's fascinating and it's kind of ancient wisdom at the same time. It's, you know, as Howard said, I understand it kind of comes from Greeks and Greco-Roman periods where, you know, you'd have these guys who would kind of just stand up and talk for hours and not forget a single thing. And I can't remember what I had for breakfast this morning. So I think the answer is, and I'm speaking for how, because I don't know, but it seems like they're very complimentary. You're 100% right. Everything you just said, that's how they did the speeches in the forum. They would peg it and they were able to retain hours and hours and hours of highly technical information effortlessly by the process you described. Of course, there's more to it. We don't have have a three-hour memory program, <laughs> so you can't do it in one minute. But right. I thought giving people a little taste of how it would help is important. Because if you don't, my idea is reading isn't learning. That's the problem. People think if they read, they're learning. No. Everyone who read a calculus book didn't get an A. You read it, you memorized the equations and didn't know what to do with any of them, so you failed the test. You had no idea what the information could be used for. So readings, finding what you don't know, then you have to use study skills to analyze and make sense of things that confused you, like the calculus, then remembering it so you don't forget it when you need to use it. And that's a big thing in business we'll talk about. And finally, being in the right state. For a good many people, when you've been given good information by people in business, and when you got home, you didn't remember what they told you. What makes you think when you give people good information, they remember what you told them any better than you did? Instead of telling people what they need to know, which is what companies are doing, what if you just didn't just do that, but told them how to remember it when they need to know it? How many more people would retain and recall the information? How many more referrals would you get? How many more happy customers would you have? We don't, there's three big mistakes they're making right now in business. One, They don't use schema correctly, so people get confused by the terms they throw at them. Two, they don't show them how to remember things they need to do precisely the way they were told, and then it doesn't work and they get frustrated. And three, they're not showing them how to create the state of mind needed to do it successfully. 
So they're being, there's a mismatch between what they're trying to do and the way their mind is. They're nervous, they're anxious, they're depressed, and the information doesn't process well in the body under those conditions, and no one told them how to fix it. If people would work on those three problems, we'd have a lot more successful business people with a lot more business referrals and happy customers. And that's one of the things I do. I teach companies how to accomplish that. And that's outstanding because I think that's what we all battle every day, especially with this COVID. And I know we're going to have time here, Howard, but real quickly, you, the Guinness Book of World Records, which is amazing. Is that something you practice for knowing you were getting close to that? Or is it just something you just decided, hey, you know what? I read, just read a bunch of books in five seconds. Let me just go see if I could, you know, kill it at the world, Guinness World Record thing. I mean, how did that? I'll be honest up? with you. I was on a radio show in, uh, in New Haven, Connecticut. When I lived in New York, I used to go every month to do the show. And the host there had a friend who was a PR guy. And I got to be friends with him. We go out for a meal together. And he's the one who said, you know, I bet you're the fastest reader in the world. And he told me how to get into Guinness, how to, how to approach them. Basically, you have to have a reporter. So I had five reporters in five cities that interviewed me for newspapers and five reporters in five different cities that did TV interviews, completely different cities. And I was consistently at the same speed. So it was on video and it was written up in five newspapers in five cities. So I sent 10 articles and, and videos where most of the records have won. So I had 10 times more validation than the typical record. And that's how I got in. And I wasn't doing it to get in the book. I was just doing it. And someone said, you know, if you got in the book, it would help you a lot. It would separate you from the herd. You know, people would realize you're not just good, you're the best in the world. And it doesn't hurt to do that. You know, from a PR point of view, one of the best things people can do in business is write a book because it shows them as an authority in their field. And when people do interviews, they want authorities in their field. So I wrote a book in five hours and it went number one on Amazon the next day. Now, it sounds hard. It isn't. It's as hard as memorizing the 10 things or reading faster. What? What book? Can you tell us what book that was? No, it's oh, oh, what book? It was a speed reading book that I wrote. It was on Amazon. It was a short book. It was about 60, 70 pages. It was a PDF. But I tell people in business, you don't need a 400-page book. Write, write 30 to 40 pages on something that your prospects and clients desperately want to know. Like if you're a realtor, how to get the best buy for a house. And make sure you put good information in there. And then when they actually want a house, they're going to remember you're the one who wrote the book or you're the one who told them how to get a better deal on an apartment, how to negotiate. So you become the authority on that topic in your niche, which distinguishes you from everybody else in your community. It's critical to do that. And I'm going to say Elon Musk, Oprah, Bill Gates, they all read a Jack Ma. They read a book a day. And Elon Musk reads two books a day. Look at their bank accounts. Look at your bank account. What are they doing you're not doing? They're learning a new skill every day. Imagine if you're a typical business person and you learned a skill like Photoshop every single day of the year. In a year's time, there would be 360 new business skills, invaluable skills. What would that do to your bottom line? How would that put you ahead of your competition? 
I had an 84-year-old read three books in three hours the day after I taught her. So this is not a pie-in-the-sky thing. You can do this, and you should be doing this because it's a knowledge-based economy. And the only security we have today is between our ears. If you're doing well today, don't expect that to last. Ask Blockbuster how well their strategy is working today. They put everyone under until Netflix said, we don't need stores. We'll mail out the DVDs. What happened to Blockbuster? And then Redbox said, we don't need the mail. But the difference was the Netflix people went to direct programming. They shifted their entire business model. Who do you know gets DVDs in the mail from Netflix? Nobody probably, I know. Probably my parents. Well, that's a whole other conversation. But the whole, the whole preference of this is, and this is when I wrote, I did my book last year. My chapter was how to um, thrive and survive, embrace technology, lean on technology to advance, which I think is critical. Like you said, it's a knowledge economy these days. Like I just, this, like, honestly, like I came into this with fail thinking, oh my God, we're going to read 20 books after this. This is going to be great for us. But like, this was probably one of the best business one-on-one reminders ever on this podcast, because it's something I think we know about, Phil, we talk about it, but Mm -hmm. sometimes we just got to hear it again, you know? Totally. 100%. 100%. Appreciate that. That's very cool. By the way, if our audience wants more information, go to berglearning.com. There's some free lessons. And if you go to Howard at berglearning.com, I do personal trainings. I work with companies. I work with CEOs to get them ahead of the competition and show them how to innovate. I even teach how to be intuitive. And, and connect dots. And would you like me to solve an unsolvable problem super fast before we finish? <laughs> Go for it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Let's solve the biggest challenge in America. Going green by, and still making money for gas, oil, and coal, and creating hundreds of thousands of jobs and eliminating the deficit all at once. We'll do that in 90 seconds. Do it. Okay. How do you make electricity? You spin a magnet around a coil of wire or you spin a coil of wire around a magnet. How do they spin it? Well, if you have water, that'll work. If you have air, like a wind turbine, that'll work. But most of the time, it's steam. How do you get steam? You heat the water with coal, oil, natural gas, except in Iceland. Iceland is a volcano. And they have a ton of magma near the surface. They use the heat of the magma, the natural heat of the planet, to boil the water. So there's zero pollution. Well, that's great. If the U.S. was a volcano, we'd be set. But Yellowstone Park is one of the biggest super volcanoes on the planet. It has 300 miles of magma and tons of water. So imagine if the oil, gas, and coal companies put up the money. So instead of being put out of business, that's the new direction. I think it's easier to find magma and water in Yellowstone than a huge oil field at this point. Right. They build the infrastructure with the coal workers that are out of work and people that are desperately trying to get good paying jobs and they have to maintain that infrastructure. And where is it? It's on national park land. And so they charge a usage tax for using national park land, and all that money goes to pay off the deficit. So we could go completely green 
We can make money for oil, gas, and coal companies. We can get people back to work and we can pay off the deficit. That's an example of what I teach. It's a different show, but I teach people how to be geniuses and creative. And that would be a whole different show. Love it. Love it. I think that's a Howard Speedy Bird podcast part two. It was so good having you on the show, Howard. It was actually so much fun having you on here. Thank you for taking the time to come on and chat with us today. I enjoyed it. It was different. And I like that. Different is good. It keeps your brain stimulated. <laughs> and now Phil and I are going to go read a bunch of books. But Howard, it was so good to have you on. Phil, thank you so much for the podcast hour. Sure. This is Sarah Miller, Media Mavis Podcast. We see everybody next week. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Media Mavens podcast. If you don't want to miss an episode or want to download past episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Media Mavens podcast on your favorite podcast provider. To learn more about the podcast or our guests, please visit MediaMavensPodcast.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.